This podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey everybody, quick note before we dive into this or maybe just a quick maundering on a bit because it has been... It's been a heck of a year. It's been a heck of a last month or so, and I feel so like good exhausted. It's that it's that tired you feel after you've worked out really hard at the gym or my doctor dragged me to a soul cycle class recently. And by the end of that, you're just like you're dripping in sweat, but you feel like, "Oh man, that 45 minutes or an hour or what seemed like 10 hours was totally worth it." And I think I sort of have this metaphysical sweat going on. I know Ryan does too. By the way, I'm, I'm recording this. We just got back to Los Angeles, or I should say me and, and podcast Sean is, is in the room here with me. Uh, we were just in Dayton, Ohio for a week, and man, that trip was amazing. We were filming some stuff for our new documentary. So our new documentary is built around this talk that we've given over the last year. We visited 50 cities in the United States and Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. We gave this talk over and over and over, and then we also filmed that talk in front of a couple live audiences in this beautiful warehouse space in Los Angeles. And so we gave the talk, it's in about 40 minutes or so, and we're gonna build the next documentary around that talk. And in order to do that, we're doing some different monologues and some different interviews and some backstories and B-roll about consumerism and meaning and crisis and, and these sort of tipping points or these, the, these moments of pivoting in our own lives. So we're diving deep into the backstories of, of Joshua and Ryan before they were the minimalists, before we were the minimalists. It's weird to talk about myself in, in the third person there, but really di- diving in to the, the Dayton, Ohio backstory. And there's sort of this, this crisis of meaning that's going on there. And it's like this perfect metaphor for consumerism in a way, the, the results of consumerism. Um, well, the, the, it actually, the, the, the best metaphor was we were just in this, place, this space called the Dayton Arcade. And the Dayton Arcade is, it's downtown Dayton. It was built in 1904. And Ryan and I, we got permission to spend some time there because it closed in 1990, so almost 30 years ago. Now, it was just a few blocks from the first house I lived in as a kid, and I remember going there a few times and have these very distant memories of being there, and it's this old shopping center, but it's a mixed-use place as well, meaning there were housing developments there, uh, office space, and in 1990, it was shuttered and has been shuttered for the last 30 years. Its, its last iteration, though, was, well, they were trying to turn it into a tr- more traditional shopping mall. And you see the remnants of it now. The bones of this place are beautiful. But when you try to take this thing of beauty and turn it into this, this consumerist temple, a, a sort of cathedral of consumerism, well, then the result is, is this emptiness. And I think many of us are experiencing this emptiness in our lives as well. And so we really wanted to dive deep into that. Now, Ryan and I have spent the last year on the road. We just finished up a month in Australia and New Zealand. 
And I'll tell you, some of those were some of the best events that we've ever had. And the podcast you're about to hear, in fact, we dragged someone on to the podcast, a guy who never does, well, very rarely does interviews. In fact, this was his first public appearance in three years. And it was his first interview. It wasn't really an interview. We just had a conversation on stage. But it was his first sort of interview format in over two years. Uh, his name is Derek Sivers. He wrote a great book called Anything You Want. You probably know him from his TED Talks and a bunch of other stuff that he's done. We actually talk about that in the podcast itself, so I won't belabor the points. We'll put uh, links to everything we talked about in the show notes as well. But during our time in Australia and New Zealand, it was like the end of that that workout, the end of the, the soul cycle session. Now, Ryan and I have gone out on eight tours, and this is our, our eighth year now. Five of those tours have been prolonged tours. And I keep telling myself, you know what? I've learned my lesson. This is it. And then, of course, a year later, I'm like, I'm ready to get back out and go on tour. And, and that's because I find so much value from getting out there and interacting with people and answering questions, but also asking questions and seeing what questions resonate, what stories resonate, what sort of material resonates with people. So I can go back and use that as sort of creative inspiration in the writings that we do or the films that we do, or now the, the podcasts that we do, ha having that material and being able to flesh it out and, and update my ideas as time goes on. Because the things that I thought were profound or even meaningful when I was 28 years old, almost a, a decade ago now, when I first found minimalism, they, they, those ideas need to be updated. They're, they are not static. They're, they're ever-changing and bending and stretching and, and contracting. And I want to be able to see how that actually applies to the real world, not just in a, a ivory tower. Or We're actually in our new studio space now. It's, it's not ivory at all. It's a, a gray tower, I suppose. Uh, we're here in, in Los Angeles. And, and what I've realized is that I can overstretch myself in that experience. So too much growth can be irresponsible and stretching myself too far can be irresponsible because it actually takes away from my health or, or my creativity. And so while we've come to the end of this year of just beautiful experiences, I also realized that it was too much. And so I think going forward, you're going to notice a, a few things from The Minimalist. One is it's not to say we won't ever do live events in the future. We certainly will. I don't see any protracted touring in our future for the foreseeable future. Now, again, I, I'm obviously open to changing that at some point in time, but I could see if we do a tour in the future, it being a much more concise version. Uh, in fact, the, the one we did in 2016 was for our documentary Minimalism. We did a, a theater tour with that. And uh, I think we did 15 cities in a month. That's a lot more palatable. I could see, I could see in fact, just doing maybe a one week tour or a two week tour in the future at some point, but we're taking a long break at this point. This is our time to sort of after the soul cycle class or after the gym where, where you have to recover. This is the recovery period that allows us to create something meaningful. That next meaningful thing, we hope for it to be our, our second documentary. We'll link to some stuff in the show notes. You can see some behind the scenes photos of that Dayton arcade experience. It was, it was truly astonishing. It was beautiful. And uh, there was a lot of sort of despair there at first, but through that despair, there was a lot of hope, actually. I think the hope is birthed out of the despair, and, and actually, I, I think you'll see that 
that with spaces like that we can reclaim them and there's this this rec uh, th this reclamation period where we can move forward towards something more meaningful that thing that was meaningless we can we can find something that that is meaningful i mean when, when i say to live a, a meaningful life I, I really mean to find experiences that are meaningful that propel us forward during this short short time that we have here on earth and so we're all searching for meaning that was the commonality of the 50 cities that we've been to we have factory workers and ceos and executives and college students and high school students and great grandparents and black and white and red and yellow and people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds but they're all asking the same thing it's how do i live a more meaningful life and I think it manifests differently with different value systems and, and, and different beliefs. But ultimately, we're trying to determine how do I live a, a more meaningful life? And many of us have, have learned that this constant barrage of consumerism is, is doing the opposite. It's getting in the way. It's taking away from the joy and the, the, the purpose, the, the sense of meaning that we have in our lives. And so we turn to these pacifiers like consumerism, like endless hours of watching TV or, or just browsing social media for many hours on end, or even worse, we turn to alcoholism or, or drug abuse. Uh, the, the opioid crisis is real. Being back in Dayton, Ohio, you know, it's the, it's the overdose capital of America right now, or Montgomery County is where, where Dayton is. But birthed out of that despair, I think there's a potential for hope. And I see so many great things going on there in, in Dayton, Ohio, that that weren't going on, or, or maybe they were just under the surface, that were just starting to happen right before we left Dayton. You know, we, we left sort of at the nadir. It was, it was the end of, of 2012, and I lived downtown, and I can tell you that sometimes I felt like I might be the only resident of a city that has a, a million people in, in the greater metro area. And that's because you know a lot of the jobs had left, a lot of the people had left the city, but now you see people coming back. You see businesses coming back. You see diversity. You see uh, different cultural perspectives. You see conversations. You, you see new restaurants and, and coffee shops and, and, and these new community centers and the arts and occupancy downtown now is 95%. I couldn't even imagine that five or six years ago. But that tells me that very quickly, when you get people working together and, and, and they find meaning in what they're doing, they can make some pretty great changes. And so uh, throughout the, the exploration of, of the last year, um, we've recorded a lot of live events. And, and um, I know we weren't, we're not able to put all of those in our feed, and we actually prefer to do the in-studio episodes because, uh, well, b because the dynamic is a bit different. The live events don't always translate as well on audio, although I'll tell you some of my favorite podcasts that we've ever released through the Minimalist Podcast are like the events we did in Calgary and, and Edmonton, for example. Those two were just like, I felt outstanding about those. If you want to go back and listen to them, they're episodes 102 and 103. And I remember like there, there are just these peak times. There are other times where, where the content or the conversations are good, but they're often too repetitive. They might be repeating the same thing that we said the night before, or m more frequently, it, it's just that 
the live audience or the live events lend themselves to being better in front of the, the live audience themselves. And then, of course, you, you, you have some bit of of loss of context when you publish it in an audio feed. Obviously, the quality, even though Podcast Sean does a great job of recording live events, if you're not in a podcast studio, you're not in a recording space, it's not going to sound as good as as what you're hearing right now because we're in a, a space that is set up specifically for this, for talking into a microphone, and soon to be talking in front of cameras as well. So Real quick, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters because as soon as we reach that that next level, because we don't do any advertisements on the podcast, um, we're going to have a video version of this podcast. I- ideally, it'll be this summer when that happens. So a lot more in-studio stuff coming. In fact, this might be the last live podcast you hear in our feed. Maybe, maybe ever or maybe just for a long time. What I would like to do is release at least one more event from our our tour in Australia. Two of my favorite events of all time were Sydney and Melbourne. We did, uh, it was like everything was firing on all cylinders. That's the other weird thing about going out on tour. It's by the time you get to the end of it, you get to city 47 or 48 of a 50 city tour and you're like, oh wow, I, I feel like I'm finally ready to go out on tour. And that happened even when we did 15 cities. You're getting 10 cities or 12 cities into it. You're like, okay, I'm finally in some sort of rhythm, some sort of pattern. I'm ready to go out there. But of course, it doesn't work that way. Um, You you grow um, immensely through the process, but none of the events are, are ever perfect. But I know a lot of you do find value in these live events. So if you do want to hear them, we will eventually release every live event that we've recorded as long as there aren't any sort of technical difficulties or or audio issues. But we'll release any of them to our Patreon supporters. Every week, we do a a separate podcast. It's called The Minimalist Private Podcast. And each week, we release a postscript episode. So we answer one or two or sometimes three additional questions that were covered in the main episode. We dive a little bit deeper. We let our hair down because, well, there's only a few thousand people supporting us on, on that feed. So it allows us to be... We're always authentic with what we're talking about, but it also allows us to to dive deeper in a way that the people who have been following along with this narrative for a while can can understand. We don't have to recover the the same ground. So we do that each week, but we're also releasing these live events. So the live event you're about to hear right now, if you want to hear similar ones, we've already released quite a few on the podcast, the private podcast. And you get that podcast feed right there in your normal podcast feed. So say you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or you're listening to it on Overcast or Feedly or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to our private podcast. It just shows up separately. You need this this private link that we'll send you if you are a supporter of the podcast. And that support, none of that money goes to me or Ryan, not that it matters. We're, we're not allergic to making money. But that money is to pay for the studio space that we're in, to pay having a full-time producer, eventually pay for cameras and um, and, and having a, a full-time filmmaker uh, film it so we can do the video version of the podcast, which you'll be able to subscribe to over on, on our YouTube channel. But that money doesn't go to us, but it allows us to keep this 100% advertisement free. And so what we'll do is we'll continue to release over time, one a month probably, maybe even more if we, we do more live events. We'll release those live events so you'll still have access to them. It's recorded somewhere exclusively for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to support us, head on over to theminimalists.com. Click donate at the top. If you become a patron, then of course you'll have access to all the PostScript episodes, all of the live events that we release from here on out. Also the entire back catalog of all the PostScript episodes 
there are dozens of them at this point. Also, the, the catalog of previous live events that we've already released. And then we also do a monthly live stream called Ask the Minimalists Anything. It's a video live stream that we do, but we also record the audio of that and uh, put out the audio version on the Minimalist Private Podcast as well. So that's, in, in, in summary, basically all I'm saying here is we're done touring for a while. I'm sure we'll have some sort of events in, in the future, but no more protracted tours. But the reason being is because we want to focus on continuing to produce meaningful creations, whether that's writing, podcasts, or films. We're really focused on that. We don't want perpetual touring to get in the way of that, but we still want to see you. So we'll do events in the future. We want to hang out. We want to say hi. We want to answer your questions. We want to ask you questions. We want to identify what is resonating with you and, and, and what isn't. I really hope you enjoy this deep dive that we had here with Derek Sivers. It's the, it was the weirdest, the strangest venue I think we did all tour. Sean, would you agree with that? <laughs> he's he's, uh, he's given me the face that says it was certainly strange. It was at a... Well, actually, I think we talk about it a little bit on the podcast itself. So I, I won't run it for you, but it was, it was a strange space. It was... Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I hope you enjoy this live podcast. I know I certainly did, where Ryan and I had the privilege of speaking with a guy who's so influential to us I hope you find value in it as well. His name's Derek Sivers. All right, we'll see you soon. Hello, New Zealand. <laughs> Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, live in Auckland. Man, Adelaide killed that. Come on, man. I said we're live in Auckland. There we go. Yeah, we were just in, in Adelaide yesterday, and, and, and we flew here because uh, we never had a chance to, to come to New Zealand. I hope that I actually get some time to spin beyond this trip next time and just uh, explore both the North and, and the South Island. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And until then, I'm going to do my best to enjoy this moment. I'm really grateful you all decided to spend an evening with us because it's going to be a pretty special evening for me and for Ryan, and I think it'll be a special evening for you all as well. So Ryan and I began this journey eight, nine years ago, and it's took us through a bunch of paths. We've met some really interesting people along the way, and one of those interesting people is here tonight. You might know him from his TED Talks. You might know him as the founder of a company called CD Baby. You might know him from his book called Anything You Want. You might know him from his online musings and his beautiful writing. You might know him from his minimalism or his unconventional ideas on parenting. You might know him as just an all-around inspirational guy. Please welcome to the stage, Derek Sivers. Jessica, I'm not sure where you are, but if I can move this clock down here, because I want to be respectful of everyone's time. Um, so wherever you are, Jessica, if we could move that, I'd really appreciate it. We uh, once did an event for five and a half hours in Atlanta because I got lost with time. And 
while some of you might like that, others will be furious, and I'm sure some of you have ba- babysitters that you have to pay by the hour. Yeah, we got in trouble for it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll do our best. And then, do you have? I had some notes, Jess, that I handed nope, you. Nope, nope. <clears throat> well, anyway, we'll we'll go ahead and, and dive in. We'll get started. Um, you know, it's interesting. There are a bunch of firsts going on tonight. This is uh, Derek Sivers. This is your first appearance in public in, what, three years, I believe? Three years, yeah. I've been saying no to everything for three years. And uh, (laughs) I live in Wellington, and these guys told me they were coming through Auckland. And a few months ago, they said, can you come? And I said, no. (laughs) And I said, but ask again in a couple months. And so then just two weeks ago, they said, can you come? I said, yeah, all right, sure. So, yeah. He actually said no twice. Uh, (laughs) But uh, now we are here, and we're, we're grateful for that. We're going to talk about saying no and, and some of the good reasons for saying no tonight. Um, so that's a first. Also, you haven't done an interview in two years. Now, Ryan and I actually don't do interviews. We occasionally bring on friends or new friends, and we have, we have conversations with them about the topics of minimalism and everything else. I'm not, oh, thank you, Jess. Can I trade you? Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate that. So we don't do interviews per se, but we like to have conversations about minimalism. Although, here's the thing. Minimalism is just a Trojan horse to get us in the door and let us talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. (laughs) And we're also going to answer some of your questions tonight as well. I figured we'd have a a bit of a conversation with Derek, and then we've got a mic back there. Eventually, we'll be able to line up, and we'll get to as many questions as we can. Here's another first for us, though. I've never spoken at a racetrack before. You, Ryan? Um, well, not in this setting, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, it's funny, when, when, uh, when Derek got here, he took an Uber from, from the airport, he sent me a text, and I, I believe the text said, I'm here, ellipsis, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the text, he said, is this where you want to go? I said, I doubt it, <laughs> but I guess so, yeah. Now, as you all know, as a, a, as a rule, actually, some people have this weird misconception that to be a minimalist, you have to have great hair. <laughs> and that's only partially true. It's actually you have to have a great haircut. <laughs> and I think for Sivers, he has the most appropriate haircut. And I am, I, I am just infinitely jealous of, of the haircut because I can't pull it off. I, I look like something from one of the Terminator versus Alien movies <laughs> when, I, when I shave my head. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Derek and I were, were emailing back and forth. This is a lesson in persistence. Um, and after the first few times, he told me no, and I believe in consent. And so I, w- I was <laughs> working toward yes here. Um, there are really four words. When I think of Derek Sivers' writing, or even I just think of Derek Sivers as a human being, um, I, I think of four words. And so I, I wrote these down, and I, I sent these to him. Uh, simple, creative, considerate, and calm. And I, I know for me that, that when, when you approach your writing, it's elegant, and it's like the Bones are its beauty. You have a book out there called Anything You Want, and I have the physical copy, and virtually the whole thing is highlighted just because like, it felt like you wrote that book one tweet at a time. And I think the truth is you probably had to distill it down to one tweet at a time. 
Should I talk about that? <laughs> if you'd like. <laughs> Was that a question? <laughs> um, no, it's a conversation. Yeah, I, I actually recently, so I've been writing for, for many years, but I didn't consider myself a writer. I just kind of felt like as I go through life, if there's something that I learned, you know, it's easier to give your friend advice than to take that advice yourself, right? So usually when I'm writing something, it sounds like I'm like being bossy and telling you what to do, but it's really like I'm telling it to my future self because I keep forgetting these things. But I realized that I do have a writing process, which was uh, seven steps. Let's see if I can remember them all. Which is like, first, I write down everything I have to say on a subject. And then second, I argue against it, and I try to prove all those points wrong, because I usually just assume I'm full of shit. Um, and then three, uh, is that three? Three is something else. Then four is just like, leave it for a couple of, oh, three is just like, I do that until I'm sick of it, right? And then I'm just sick of, I have nothing more to say on the subject. And then number four, I leave it for a long time and just go away and then come back to it when I go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That was kind of a cool idea. And then, but then I, I argue it some more and then I look at this big, giant, messy pile of thoughts. It's just like so cluttery and I, and I hate it. And so I just try to reduce it down to its very essence. I say, okay, let me just make an outline to kind of summarize all this giant wall of text and when I'm done, I just post the outline instead. That's awesome. But, but it takes the giant sort of horde of, of material in order to get to that distilled down ball, uh, that, 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 that the, the seven, or the, just the outline <laughs> itself, right? It, it, it takes almost building up this mass, this, you know, the, for me, it's like you, you need the, the huge chunk of granite from which you can then carve out the, the piece of <laughs> the art. The giant phallus, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, actually, I, I'm so curious, guys, you know, so those of you listening, I'm like staring at 500 faces here, and it's kind of freaking me out. Um, I'm wondering what you guys are doing here um, and um, I've actually kind of wished that, you know, when we were, the music was playing, if the song wasn't so good, I might have interrupted to ask you guys why you're here. And uh, does anybody, like, have some concrete reason why you came here that you could shout out? Well, duh. <laughs> was well, there, like, something that you were coming here to, to learn? Something, you were, I mean, is, or is this just, like, a kind of a big dating group that you wanted to meet other minimalists or something? <laughs> Can somebody shout something out that like something you were here for, to learn or? Okay. And were you looking for like tips on? Okay, like moral support or or like concrete advice? Okay, thanks. Uh, anybody else like? Well, yeah, Derek has thrown us into the uh, question round already. I was just so eager. <laughs> I Thanks, was just Derek. too curious. I couldn't, I couldn't fake it. I couldn't just look at all these faces and pretend I wasn't too curious. Sorry. Wait, can we repeat? How do we summarize that question for these? So, so I th audience? we have, we have actually have two questions that yeah, are connected yeah. perfectly. We okay. have one that says, "Hey, I want to be able to get rid of a bunch of crap, right?" Uh, I, and the other question is, once I've gotten rid of a bunch of crap, what the hell do I fill my life with? And, and I think that. Interesting. 
So you're, you're rich in diaries is what I'm hearing you say. You're rich with diaries. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, I am such a dumb American. I was... Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> so, so she's here to, to, to learn how to say no more often is what it sounds like. Mm. Cool. Good summarize? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Sivers. <laughs> oh, <all> right. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> You're fine, dude. Well, so here's, here's something. We were up in the green room uh, before this, and, and you and I were exchanging some emails back and forth talking about the concept of, of complexity versus sim- simplicity. Uh, okay, yeah, all right. So I've thought about this subject a lot. Um, I've been emailing with these guys for years. I've been kind of living this life for years, too, and I think about it a lot. And I realize that, to me, it, it, of course, it goes beyond just the stuff. It's like, first you throw out some stuff, and, and then you say, okay, well, now what? And I realize that, to me, that the bigger point it comes down to is this idea of complex versus simple. And I learned this from a programmer recently that... The word complex, we think of complicated and complex, it actually comes from the word complect, which means to braid two things together. When you complect two things, you braid them together. And so when something is complicated, it means it's intertwined or tangled with other things. And then simple comes from the word simplex, which means like one, something that's not connected to anything else. It's just a single thing. And I started looking at life through this lens a bit, realizing that... um, that was the real issue that, that interested me more than throwing out stuff, is how to make my life less complicated, like less bound to other things. And so we were geeking out um, in the weeks up until now, like trading ideas about what we were going to talk about, about the ways that we're so bound to things, sometimes mindlessly, right? Like uh, a lot of my friends are creative artists, and they do things like keep all of their stuff in Adobe Creative Cloud or in Google Documents but now you've bound yourself uh, to Google Docs and everything you create is in Google Docs and now it's like if Google accidentally shut down your account tomorrow, you're screwed because you are completely dependent on Google to to do what you're doing. And uh, I've been online since 1994. I'm kind of an old timer. I'm 48. And uh, in the first dot-com boom, there were a lot of companies that started up that, uh, for one example, I was in the music business, so uh, mp3.com. In 1999 and 2000, every single musician in the world was on mp3.com. It was like indispensable. You had to have your music there. That was the entire music business was going on at mp3.com. And then to, and everybody uploaded all of their music and they kept all of their fan lists there. Like all of their mailing lists, everybody they knew was interfaced through mp3.com. And then two years later, like, it shut down and everything was deleted and they were just screwed. All their music they'd ever uploaded, their thousands of fans, just gone. And then I saw them do it again a couple years later with MySpace. And then MySpace was the shit. Everybody was on MySpace, and you put all of your fans there, and all of your interactions with your, all of your fans were all through MySpace, and then, you know, it's like, it didn't actually disappear, but it's moot, right? So it might as well be gone. And then now it's 2018, and I see everybody doing that with Facebook and Instagram and all these things that they just assume they're going to be there forever, but I think about this comparison that, like, right now in 2018, uh, we're at the, the longest bull run ever, like, since the 1920s in the stock market, right? And so you can imagine somebody that's only been investing for 15 years, they don't even know what it is to ever see the stock market do- go down for a single quarter, right? 
So a lot of people today don't even know what it is to have these companies that you think are dependable just disappear. So I often ask my friends when I see them using like at Gmail accounts and, and uploading all their kids' pictures to Facebook, I say, well, what would happen if your account got deleted tomorrow? Like how screwed would you be? People go, what do you mean? That can't happen, I need that. And it, it happened to a friend of mine in Singapore, he's a uh, tech savvy guy too, he's like a VC tech investor in Singapore, and because he's so tech savvy and thinking of himself as so forward thinking, um, when he had a son 10 years ago, he started just uploading all of the photos of his newborn son to Google Photos. Was it called Picasso or Google Photos? Maybe it's the same thing. And he did this for like nine years. That was the master copy of all of his photos of his kid, went straight to Google Photos. And then he started this new company um, and decided to merge his personal at Gmail account with Google Apps and with his you know, domain. And when he merged the two, suddenly his Google Photos were gone. And he, he was like emailing customer support, like, excuse me, where are my photos? And they said, well, you merged your two accounts and so it resets your photos. So he said, well, could you get them back, please? They said, well, no, they're, they're gone. You, de you deleted them when you merged accounts. He said, but those are all of my photos of my kid. And his wife is like, what have you done? What have you done? His child, it is gone. It's gone. And I'm like, you fucker, it's a company. <laughs> they like, you pay, it's like, you don't depend on a company. Anyway, so I, I think about a lot of this subject of like, you don't complect your life together with things. Stop depending on your social media accounts. Don't, if, if you're depending on Gmail for your email, well, they, you know, they might shut down your account someday for no reason because somebody was trying to run a scam through it and it, then your Gmail account is gone. And so I'm, I'm kind of preaching this thing that, uh, that to me is about simplifying your life by reducing your dependencies like that. Well, when we were talking about that upstairs and you were talking about this intertwining, like instantly I thought about uh, marriage. Like I, I was thinking about that, uh, the analogy of how when, when you pick out a, a partner, hopefully, better be careful. Yeah, hopefully all of us who, who are going to get married, hopefully we have picked out that partner very deliberately. Yeah. And what, what it's so easy to do nowadays, nowadays is to get, to get married to Facebook to get married to Twitter, to get married to Instagram, to get married to Gmail, and, and we do it without really uh, thinking about why we're, we're, we're marrying ourselves to, to these different tools right. that we have available. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's also kind of the super long-term view that a lot of my friends are musicians, and they're in their 20s and 30s, and I think you're going to be making music longer than Facebook is in business. Like, Facebook will probably go out of business in the next 50 years while you're still making music, so don't depend on that as your source of, you know, where you do everything. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's funny Nerd. too, because like a service like Google, um, you know, your friend is uploading those photos. That is a free service. Yeah. So he, when they're all deleted, like really, they're just kind of looking at them like, what you expect? Ah, we tried, dude. <laughs> we, yeah. We, were, yeah. <laughs> we were doing you a favor. We, we decided right. we not to. We screwed up. <laughs> Our bad. <laughs> now, Derek, don't, don't you think that that binding concept applies to possessions as well? Quite often, we'll continue to hold on to things. Right in perpetuity just because we acquired them at some and point. And that's the path that you guys found that, you know, you, you talked about um, that a lot of people have to find this out the hard way. What was the, um, there's a good word for it, like every now and then, you know, everybody, sometimes a single sentence can change your mind, right? Like you can hear people talk and talk and talk and then a certain sentence will hit you. And for me, it's when I heard somebody say something like, you don't want to have to be the steward 
of your possessions. It was one of those kind of words, like, like a museum curator or something like that. It was this idea of somebody who kind of keeps the dust off the item forever. Like, you don't want to be the steward of your items. I was like, oh, yeah. You, you started, and you, you think of every little thing you buy is like, oh, wait, that's, this is going to sit here forever until I get rid of it. And the little, did you guys see the video called The Story of Stuff? That one like made a huge impact on me too. If you guys haven't seen the story of stuff, like when you said like, you need extra tips or help on not buying stuff or getting rid of stuff, the story of stuff might change your life because uh, this woman made an animated video showing you all of the waste that's created in every single thing. And when you think like, I'll just get some shoes, you know, they're like 12 bucks at the warehouse, 12 bucks, why not? But then it's like you find out like how much waste goes into creating that stupid pair of shoes and you look at it with a new... New eyes, and yeah, that video made a huge difference for me. We, we were talking about surrounding ourselves with the um, with objects, the objects that they're closest to us. Actually, in our documentary, we we, we interviewed a gal named uh, Juliet Shore, and the thing that she she said is the problem isn't that we're too materialist; it's that we're not materialist enough. And, and in fact, there are some things that really augment our experience of life, that improve our life, and choosing those things wisely is is important. But instead, what we've done is just tried to amass more of whatever. Right. And I don't know. I also think about the this. We we uh, that's right. We talked about the idea of introducing friction. Okay. So now imagine this. I moved to New Zealand six years ago, and in America, you get addicted to Amazon. It's just so damn easy to like anything in the world, you just and it just shows up at your door the next day, and it's basically wholesale price. And then I moved to New Zealand, and there was no Amazon here. And <laughs> what I found is that my, my, my initial impulse would happen, I was like, oh, I need some new headphones, yeah, I'll get some new headphones. And I'm like, oh fuck, they cost how much here? And I'm just like, ah, oh, never, I don't need headphones. And I just, I stopped being a consumer, because it's just like there was just enough friction now that I'm just like, no, oh, never mind. Um, so I just don't buy stuff as much now because there's no Amazon. So then we talked about um, if there's something in your life that is maybe too easy, like you know Facebook or Instagram on your phone is just a little too easy to like suck you in, um, introducing this friction. Uh, so what I started doing years ago um, is I used a random uh, string generator on my computer to generate this 32 character long password and I changed my Facebook password to that. Um, but it's only on my computer, so it's saved in like a GPG encrypted thing on my computer is my Facebook password. And I didn't have the app on my phone anyway, but I did the same thing with my email, so now on my phone I can't check my Facebook or email. I don't even know what my password is. I can only do it back at my computer. So even it's like in those, uh, those times of, what do you call that, like low willpower for the same reason I deleted my ex-girlfriend's phone number from my phone it's like so you know it's like you don't want to be in that position at like one in the morning going wait wait you know hold on I'm not so strong right now so you you, you introduce some friction uh in between you and the things you don't want in your life I think sometimes that friction also gives you traction in ways because if you have if everything is absolute convenience all the time and it's Amazon at my door whenever I want it in LA it's same day delivery now and, and so you have all these and then you can get the food delivered to you there's no reason to ever leave right and so like I'm just at home laying on the couch having someone feed carbohydrates to me all day 
um, at some point, there, there's, there's no meaning, purpose, joy in that. You, you, we often mistake these little moments of pleasure, the ephemeral fleeting pleasures, as though that's real purpose or, 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 or joy in our lives, but obviously it's not. We realize that whenever we, we pan out. But when we remove some of those overindulgent conveniences intentionally, not, not depriving ourselves, but intentionally saying, I'm not going to do that, it, removing that, the, adding the friction creates some traction in our lives so that we are, when we are in those sort of interstitial zones at a doctor's office or you're waiting in line to order food or you're at the, the grocery store or the checkout line, you're not just sort of passively lost in the glowing screen like a zombie. Okay, I, I'm going to say something else I shouldn't say. Uh, so... How many, are, are most of you here from New Zealand? Okay. So I've been here for so long that, that the American accent kind of sounds strange to me a bit. And so when these guys uh, came on stage uh, before the podcast started, you know, um, and they were talking, I was kind of sitting in the back going, how oh, do we sound like that? <laughs> um, and um, I was thinking of, you know, Hunt for the Wilder People, where uh, Taika's like the preacher and he's just like, yeah, and behind that first door, remember what's behind, you know, behind the second door is like this earnestness of the preacher. And, and I was thinking how similar it sounds uh, to religion when people are saying like, you know, and then I was at my low and my buddy came to me and he said, minimalism, it will show you the way. <laughs> and it's just like, you could almost put any word in there, right? Scientology, my friend. Why am I so happy? Scientology, you know? Why am I so happy? Sex. Sex, my friend. <laughs> You've got to try it. It's the best. You know, I'm really glad that I stumbled across minimalism and not Scientology in, in, <laughs> in, in that moment of searching because I think I probably I was really susceptible to, to like, okay, I'm looking for some new ideas because this current idea isn't working. Right. Thankfully, I found one that doesn't have a, a dogma to it, though. So, nice transition. I wanted to talk about dogma. <laughs> <You're not supposed laughs> to look at that. Expert MC on the mic. Hey, hey, we're not supposed to say when there is a transition. It's supposed oh. to be natural. Oh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> Segway music. <laughs> okay. So, dogma. I was, I was, okay, I, don't, I didn't bring my dictionary with me. But I think that the difference between dogmatic and pragmatic is when you're being dogmatic, you want to take something and act like it's the answer to everything, right? Like, I have found minimalism. It is the answer to everything. And then pragmatic is you're using it as a tool where it's needed in your life, right? So I have a five-year-old, now six-year-old kid, and these guys asked me about parenting and how minimalism applies to parenting. And I thought about it for a second, and I thought, Okay, here's how it applies, is I learned that it doesn't apply. Uh, and at first I was dogmatic about it, right? When my kid was two years old, I was just like, uh-uh, no toys, we're going outside and playing with pine cones. <laughs> and, and I would like, I, I live like right down like Breaker Bay by the airport in Wellington where there's all these rocks out there and I would just take him out to the rocks and, and I'm like, no, you don't need toys, we got rocks, come on. Um, by the way, do you remember Flight of the Concords? New Zealand, rocks. Uh, the joke in Flight of the Concords is all the tourism posters never have a person in them. New Zealand is always advertised as this place with no people. Like, you know, <laughs> New Zealand rocks. Anyway. Okay, so um, 
So I'd always just take my kid out to play with, you know, limpets and, and sticks and pine cones. And then one day I took him to a, a restaurant in Wairarapa that had a huge, giant box of toys. And he was just like, <gasps> and I finished eating in 20 minutes and he sat there for three hours with these toys, just like, oh, I'm gonna catch you. Oh, we're gonna go do Hey, you get ready. And he was like playing with his character and he, he was so into it, he was riveted. And I just sat there for three hours watching, just like, I suck, man. This, I shouldn't have pushed my fucking shit on him, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm being dogmatic about this. Like, my kid doesn't need minimalism, he's two. <laughs> so that was an important distinction for me is realizing like okay this is this is a tool so best thing ever by the way what they don't have in America is trade me and so <laughs> I went to trade me and for 25 bucks I found somebody in Wellington who was moving to Australia and like took all of their kids toys in a huge crate and I bought it for 25 bucks and still like four or five years later now my kid plays with that same box of toys for 25 bucks all the time, it's like his main, you know, there's like 300 toys in there, like little action figures and dinosaurs and boats and cars and, and aliens, and he brings them into the bath, and it's like the best damn 25 bucks. But yeah, I realized that it's, it, we gotta use this as a, as a tool, as a pragmatic tool, not a dogmatic thing to apply to everything. Yeah, I, I think this is a great example of how, like Josh and I, we do not, uh, we do not rec recommend deprivation. I mean, deprivation is not fun, and just like Josh said, like any of y'all could rent a dumpster and throw everything away when you get home and you're just going to probably have a, a big chance of being miserable in an empty place. Um, but what I do think is that when, when we do, I know for me, like when I did that, that stoical experiment of packing all my stuff up and kind of going through it, for me, um, that's, well, first off, as a single dude living by himself, that's a very, very easy thing to do. Uh, but for like a family of six, like Leo Babauta probably wouldn't do that. That doesn't really make a lot of sense for a big family. Um, but for me, having, having taken everything out and, and really um, getting down to the, the essence, it kind of helped me realize like what I needed to bring back in. So I, I think the, the, the experiment that you did with your child, like I don't, yeah, you were depriving them, but as a good parent, you were like, oh, I am not being a good parent right now, and I want to be a good parent, and I'm not going to deprive my kid anymore. And, and yeah, dude, I'm sorry, but you're still a minimalist. Your kid's still a minimalist with that toy, that box of toys, man. It, that was a very deliberate thing you brought in, and it sounds like those toys add a lot of value to his life. Yeah, definitely. Would two boxes make him happier? No, yeah, we talked about this. Like, so does that mean that, yeah, 10 boxes would be better? Yeah, you're right. It's like, I guess we all just find the balance. Right? But there's 10 times more joy. And, and I think that's the, the problem with toys. And so, so the stat that from the UK is the average child in the UK has 300 toys but plays with 12 daily. However, the argument would be if they're playing with 300 toys regularly, then what's, what's the real problem here, right? Uh, the problem for us is we have our own toys as adults, right? It just it just turns into something else. It becomes, you know, we live in Los Angeles now. I've never seen more Ferraris in my life. And I'm like in the backseat of Ryan's Toyota Corolla watching, driving past each one. And, and um, realizing that, that we, we do the same thing. We try to amass more, not because it's necessarily better. But there are cases where having the things in our life, one of the things we were talking about earlier is like, yeah, you want to have uh, uh, the things that will 
aid the experience of life most? The, a good bed, a good pair of shoes, the things you keep closest to you. You know, we haven't talked about um, the different definitions. So for a little while, I got sucked into these circles uh, of uh, digital nomads, right? Like Colin, uh, you know, by the way, Colin Wright lived in Christchurch for six months, like right yeah. before the earthquake. That was one of his spots. And um, so I got sucked into these circles of digital nomads. And at one point, uh, they asked me to speak at a digital nomad conference in Berlin. And it was like, this was like 500 people, all who called themselves digital nomads. It was a little creepy. And what was funny, though, is realizing how different their definitions were. So a lot of people, I, I heard a lot of people talk about this idea of traveling for a while, like they would go to live somewhere cheap in Bali or Thailand, and then they'd go back home uh, to live at home, whether that was Chicago or, or London or whatever, and then they'd go out and they'd live somewhere cheap again and then come home. And I realized we had a different definition, because to me, nomad means like you keep going. Like there, there's no more home anymore. You keep going constantly. And that was my personal definition. And then I realized my definition is different than most people's. And so minimalism came up when... Um, my friend came to visit New Zealand and uh, he stayed at my apartment and I pulled out my laptop, which is this huge, giant, bulky, nine-year-old Lenovo laptop. And he's like, dude, what are you doing with that old laptop? I was like, well, it works. And in his version of minimalism is like every year he finds the, the smaller, better, faster computer so he can be minimalist, which to him means light and portable. Everything fits into a tiny backpack. And so he'll buy lots and lots of stuff to find the tiniest stuff. It's just, I was surprised it was a, a different definition. Whereas my definition was like, if you have something that works, you don't need to keep buying stuff. So I had this giant old ancient laptop still. And just, it's funny to realize that we have different definitions of the same word, which if you don't mind me taking one more fun tangent on that. Yes. Uh, oh, shit. We insist. Oh, okay. So, um, so it reminded me of this idea of you have a cocktail party, uh, you have two doctors and two lawyers. And so you introduce the two doctors thinking, like, you're, you guys are both doctors, you should talk. And you introduce the two lawyers thinking that they have something in common. But then you find out that one of the doctors got into it um, because his mother died of this disease and he's decided that he never wants anybody to ever die of this disease again. The second doctor got into it for the prestige. And one lawyer got into it because his dad was wrongly imprisoned for years and he's decided to right those wrongs and the other lawyer got into it for the prestige. So the what doesn't matter as much as the why. So actually, that lawyer and that doctor have more in common than this. So I think about, you know, here we are with 500 people that came to this talk by the minimalists. And I'll bet you there are a lot of different whys in this room. It's like, this is just the what, but the why makes a huge difference. I think I think getting to that why is one of the most important things. During the talk earlier, the question that I started with, I started this whole journey, was how might your life be better with less? That was a question from Joshua Becker. And I realized, like, for me, it was one thing at first, and that often leads to other whys as well. So for me, it was like, I need to regain control of my finances. I had six figures worth of debt. I made really good money, but I spent even better money. <laughs> and that equation just doesn't work. And so I had massive amounts of debt, half a million dollars if you count my mortgage. And so that was my initial why. But then it was like, you start uncovering as, as I simplified, it was like, oh, I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now. 
And so it was regaining control of my health. It was regaining control of my time. I was working 70 or 80 hours a week in a supposedly successful career that sure shit didn't feel successful because I didn't even have control of my own time. Everyone else got to dictate how I lived my life. It was a, a special kind of sort of enslavement in a way. And so in, in a way, I was a slave to a lifestyle, a template that, that someone else had, had sold me. And so I've got a bunch of stuff to show for it, sort of the, the trophies of success but it wasn't it was no longer my idea of of success yeah it's it's crazy when i when i first found minimalism uh josh the first thing he sent me was a, a video that colin wright did on facebook and you know when i when i mentioned him in my story about him being you know 24 year old entrepreneur who you know traveled with everything on his back i mean he literally was like known for having 52 things and I remember seeing this, and my first thought was, is I don't want to be a minimalist because I like having a kitchen table. I like having game nights. I like having a couch or maybe two couches like so I could you know, have teams of we play cranium and other stuff. And I, I, I then saw people like Joshua Becker, like Courtney Carver, like Leo Babalta, and it was really inspiring to see to see people using this thing called minimalism to say no. And for me, I had to say, I had to say no more in my life. And what it was, it was, it was these people setting the example and by default giving me permission to relive my, or to rework my life, to really try and rework what I was, I was focusing on. Honestly, man, it just looked like common sense. But unfortunately, common sense, it ain't too common. <laughs> Especially where I come from. <laughs> I think... You know what? I've always wondered, at the beginning of the documentary, where are you skateboarding? Where is that? Missoula, Montana. Oh, yeah. okay. Thanks. There is a lot of common sense in Missoula. <laughs> That's why I moved there. <laughs> so, so, Ryan, on that point, you know, I, I think both of us in our 20s, we, we, we got to the top of that ladder because we kept saying yes to everything. You're smelling a transition here. Um, <laughs> are you sure it's not me sweating? <laughs> Ryan, you smell like transition. <laughs> so, so I think we said yes to to a, a whole lot of things, and it's they, individually a lot of things that we said yes to through our twenties. They all sound like grand opportunities on their own, but when you stack them all together, then you start ac accidentally saying no to what's important just by excluding them. And I think to take back control of my life, I had to start. I had to learn. I had to practice saying no. And I can tell you, Derek, one of the things that you wrote about that is one of the things that, that uh, fully articulated what I was trying to do in, in, saying, in, in saying no more frequently. So I could say yes to what was important. Can you talk about that? <laughs> Yo, Derek, drop the verse. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Uh, in 2009, I wrote I was trying to make a decision uh, whether I should go to this conference or not. And I was just like, yeah, I probably should, maybe. And, and then I thought, you know what? I'm sick of always trying to decide between yes and no. I thought, from now on, I'm going to make it so if I'm feeling anything less than, oh, hell yeah, then I'll just say no. So I'm going to say no to everything less than hell yeah. So am I feeling like hell yeah about going to that conference? No. Am I feeling like hell yeah about doing this job somebody asked me to do? It's like, no. It's like, okay, and I just started saying no to 
all of it because the big idea was that that if you say no to almost everything, then you have like free time <laughs> and you have like space in your life. And then the big strategy is then when that rare occasional thing comes along, like some kind of gig, I mean, I'm, I'm freelance, you know, so when the occasional gig comes along that you're just like, oh, hell yeah, now that I'm psyched about, well, then suddenly you've got all this free time and you can throw yourself into that thing completely. So to me, this just seemed to be a better life strategy. So I wrote it up in just a tiny, itty-bitty little article, like four paragraphs in 2009, and it's become like my, my hit single. So like, people quote it and then friends in Silicon Valley tell me that like, people say hell yeah or no in meetings all the time and they're just like, and I think it was on Shark Tank or something like that. Uh, but yeah, that's the big idea is just this idea of instead of, instead of trying to decide between yes or no, um, yeah, if you're feeling anything less than hell yeah, then say no and it just leaves this great space in your life. So let me, how do you get over, because I, I mean, I know how I get over it, but I'm just curious how you get over it. Like you say, so someone asks you, um, hey, Derek, can you do X? And you're like, no, sorry, I can't. How do you get over them being like offended or? Um, That's a great question. It, I, I used to lie until I got to New Zealand. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, I was living in Singapore before this and, and different cultures have different ways of doing things and you know the Asian culture is not always about being blunt and direct it's often about being indirect and saving face and being polite so when I was living in Singapore I would turn things down with polite lies like oh just busy that day can't do it that day well how about the next day I'm busy that day too maybe the next week yeah maybe maybe let's let's you know and then I got and I moved to New Zealand I'm just like I don't want to do that anymore (laughs) this isn't the kind of place for that and so uh I shouldn't admit this, but when I first moved to New Zealand, uh, I moved to Nelson deliberately because I didn't know anybody there. And I thought, like, nobody will ask me to do anything if I live in Nelson. Uh, So, but uh, then my ex, she grew up in New York City and she couldn't handle the small town Nelson life. So she insisted we move to Wellington. So I kind of grumbled my way into Wellington. But I knew like 150 people in Wellington. Um, And so when people in Wellington would ask me to do something, I was like, it was tempting to do that old habit of lying. And instead, I just would say, like, no, I'm really just working on some stuff, and I'm, I'm really just enjoying getting lost in my work, and I'm sorry, I don't really want to interrupt my flow to meet up. And it's hard to say sometimes, because sometimes it's like friends that live like three blocks away, and I'm like, sorry, man. They're like, I haven't seen you in nine months. I'm like, I know. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I'm Are just you- into my thing, and I'm and digging it. And here's what happens. Unless they're lying back to me, every single one has just said, you know what, that's really cool, man. I know how that goes. Stick with the flow, go for it, yeah. you know. And people get it, because I think a lot of people wish that they said no more often, and so when you say no to them, you become like a role model in how to say no. So that's why you gotta tell the truth. You know, when, when Derek said no to this interview the first, the first time, <laughs> we're also persistent. Um, actually, uh, Josh is more persistent. But w- what I'll say is, uh, when he said no, he said, you know, yeah, I'm really trying to be a good father. Is that what I said? I'm yeah. trying to no, be a good you father. Said, you said, I'm busy this summer being a dad. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and now, now, Josh and I would have been like, we can't believe that Derek Sivers told us no. What would that have said about us, really, more than anything? Right. And, 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 but, you know, hearing the way that he said no, like, who here would knock anyone, not just Derek Sivers, but any of your friends, 
Who here would knock them for giving an excuse like that? I would love to give me some of my time, but I really need to give my kids time. Summer holidays, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really thought it was a commendable um, response because yeah, I have a four-year-old, and it's one of the things I struggle with, and especially because I'm an introvert like you. Like I'm an extreme introvert. I know it's weird because I'm in front of 500 people right now, but I, I do spend 90% of my time alone, and I've set my life up the, that way so I could do it. Back in my corporate days, I spent virtually 100% of my time around other people, mm. and it ruined my life. And, and I've set my life up in a way that I have people around me who also understand that when I say no, it's so I can say yes to me. And I also, I can be a better version of myself when I'm there. I mean, I'm sure that when you do spend the time with the, the person three blocks away you've been dodging for nine months, that time that you do spend together is higher quality time because you're, you're getting out of it the other time what you need so you can be the best version of yourself when you show up. You know, one of the questions, when we were trading ideas before now about what we might talk about on stage, one of the ideas um, you mentioned was about being less stressed or being calm or less stressed. And you asked why or how, and I thought about it for a bit. Um, and I realized that it's, it's about being sincere. I think that you're, you're most stressed when you're being insincere, when you're doing stuff that you don't really want to do um, or maybe even, you know, um, yeah, saying, saying yes to stuff that you wish you didn't say yes to or just living a life that doesn't really feel like it's really for you. It, it kind of gives you this internal friction. And when you suddenly just kind of commit to just like, saying fuck it and just being honest with people, it's just like, yeah, life is easier and calmer. Um, well, so, so when I think of Derek, I think of aggressively calm. <laughs> uh, I mean, even his voice, you hear his voice and you're like, oh, like this is... I, I just like feel all of a sudden like 10 decibels calmer. And, 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 and so I assume that there are, maybe it's just the, because you are now sincere, your, your short-term actions are congruent with the person that you want to be. Yeah. I, what did a stressed out Derek Sivers look like though? Oh no, it's just more internal conflict. It's just the outside might've seemed the same, but I think I was... Like I said, it was just like lying more often. And it just, it comes to realizing your priorities too. So it's like, I was very split. Um, yeah, I was very split between lots of different responsibilities and things I had said yes to. And then, uh, yeah, my kid was born in Singapore and I moved here to New Zealand with this idea of, actually, you know what the, the inspiration was? Uh, uh, I was a musician and I remember reading as a teenager, that John Lennon uh, regretted the fact that when, like, during the height of Beatlemania, um, his first son, uh, Julian, was born, and he had, like, no time to spend with Julian at all. Um, so he just completely missed Julian's life, and the song Hey Jude is about Julian. And, you know, um, and then he was 35 when, when he was with Yoko, and Sean Lennon was born, and he just said, like, okay, right, he just told his agent and manager, like, no for the next five years, no to everything. And so for the first five years of his kid's life, he just disappeared from the world for five years. And even John Lennon did it. I was like, yeah, if he can do it, I can do it. So yeah, that's, you know, I moved to New Zealand, moved to Nelson at first and just said no to the whole world. I was like, I'm just going to hang out with my kid for five years and no to everything else. So, well, and, and you've let him experience the world in a way that I still struggle with. So, so maybe you can help me and then by proxy help some other people in here. Any parents in here tonight? 
A two, apparently. <laughs> That's right. Two hands went up. That was great. <laughs> Bunch of fucking minimalists. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Leo, Leo Babalta has six kids. That's when I knew I could be a minimalist if a guy with six yeah. kids. Yeah, he's inspired. He's super minimalist. He doesn't even believe in condoms. <laughs> oh. You know, you were talking about, like, the three most dangerous words. What was that part of your talk? Uh, yeah, just in case. I was thinking, there's a, there's a lot of dangerous three-word combinations. When he said that, I was, like, sitting in the back, and I was just thinking, just, like, your religion sucks. Is, is it in? Things like that. I was like... <laughs> um, there are a lot of fun, dangerous three-word combinations. The imagine it. Well, back to parenting. Um, it, there, there are some, so you've written exactly one time, if you go to sivers.org slash pa, P-A, um, uh, you, you've written one time about, about parenting. And, and there were some, some concepts in there that you talked about um, embracing a longer attention span. Because with me, I, got, I take Ella to the beach, and 20 minutes in, I'm like, all right, you ready to go yet? I have sand all over my damn shoes. And... <laughs> And, and I, I'm just, and for you, you're like, ah, and then we'll go play in the park for 17 hours straight. And uh, I just need some help, man. Uh, it's that, uh, I don't know, that's, that's, I don't know. I, I, I try to think of like funny, entertaining answers, but sorry, this is just really boring. But it, it just, that to me, when I think about what, what I value in life, like what do I what do I value and what traits do I want my kid to have? To me, a long attention span is one of the best things that anybody can have. And especially I see it as being counter-trend, you know, road less traveled and all that, like whatever the opposite of everybody else is doing is what's more valuable. And so just early on, I was just like, this is a top priority for me. I want my kid to have a long attention span. And so ever since he was a little baby, we would just like go out to the park and it's almost like one of those movies. Have you ever seen those? Um, it's just like a, a cheap filmmaker trick where one person sits still and then they, they fast motion everybody else and so you see like a blur of people going and while one person sits still, that's like me and my kid on the playground. We would just like go to some random little playground in Nelson and just sit there for like five hours just poking around and everybody else would come and go for 20 minutes at a time and we just sit there for like five hours and I just... I mean, I'm thankful that my life was such that I could do that, you know, because to me, the, the biggest friction I see in, in parents who say that parenting is hard is when they're trying to fit their kids into an adult schedule. It's all this kind of like, come on, we got to go now. I told you, get ready. Come on, we got to go. It's 20 minutes. We need to leave. And that's to me the biggest friction is trying. But it's like if you let I, I always just let my kid lead the way. And he's, he's the boss, and I just love getting into his uh, pace and his world. And it, sorry, it sounds corny, but it's a little bit like meditation for me, because I just shut, every, I shut me off, right? My stuff's done. My computer's off. I don't bring my phone with me when I hang out with him. I miss out on some photos, but it helps with the, the focus, you know? So my phone is gone, and it's just me and him, and I just love being at his pace and it's like myself disappears and I just enter his mind and whatever he says goes if he says suddenly just like look over there dad you need to hide the aliens are coming I'm like oh my god they're coming and so you know whatever reality he creates is for both of us and and I just enter his world and I just, I find it's like meditation in the way that 
I, I don't really meditate, but friends of mine that do, they say that if, if they don't, they feel out of sorts. And I feel the same way. Like if he and I haven't hung out at his pace like this, I feel out of sorts because I haven't entered his world in a long time. You, know? you, also, you also talked about uh, broad inputs and exposing him to, you know, whether it's not, not just going to the park or the beach, but the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. And, and I found that fascinating too because when you talk about entering his world, you're also, it's as much for you as it is for him right, in a yeah. way. Yeah, definitely. So the stuff I'm talking about right now, it's as you can tell, it's like I'm, I'm saying I'm doing it for him and I am, but I've noticed in the meantime that it makes me super blissed out too to just enter his world. But then, yeah, whenever he's at home playing with Lego, I'm putting on like freaky music. I'm putting on Bartok string quartets and Indian classical music and I'm trying to like expand his, his range of what he considers to be normal music, you know? Um, I mean, I went to Berklee School of Music. I'm a musician, so I kind of, I've always been into a bunch of weird music. So it's really fun to just put that on in the background as he's making Legos. He's listening to the Bulgarian women's choir screaming, you know? Um, and it's just normal to him. And so actually, he calls it Lego music. In Indian classical music, he calls it Lego music. Um, uh, so yeah, and, and then purposely uh, taking him to new places, I have to, you know, it expands my horizons too, and yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, well, I, that's the thing I've noticed in, in being a parent is um, I, I've, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever done, although apparently I'm doing it wrong. Um, and, but it also is like the most sort of growth-inducing, like positive growth. And, and so I'm learning a bunch. And, and hopefully we can get to some questions here because I want to be really respectful of your time, but we can try to squeeze in some questions. So is there if a you, microphone back is there? There is. There's, some, there's a microphone somewhere back here, I've been told. Unless someone but you can it. shout, too, and we can repeat you. Okay, it's right here. Go ahead and line up at, at that mic, and they will, uh, or we will we'll start answering questions. questions. Hopefully we get a question or two about, about business or creating as well, because I'd love to talk to Derek about that. We could sit here all night and talk, but we're here for you. Go ahead, man. What's your name? Where are you from? Hey, kia ora. Uh, welcome to New Zealand. Uh, Derek, welcome to Auckland. Uh, my name's Ryan. Um, cool. Awesome name, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I had, I had a question. It's actually pretty topical. Um, my wife and I just had a baby. Uh, he's like eight weeks old. Um, and it's... Thank you. Um, Congrats. Congrats, yeah, man. That's awesome. Uh, it's pretty hard, Derek, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but anyway, um, how do you say no... Um, when people just want to give you a load of shit. Like, I'm talking, like, they give you bags and bags of clothes, like Air Jordans for babies, and my son can't even walk. Um, yeah, but yeah, can how you do dunk? you say no without, like, looking like a jerk? Oh, yeah, that's, that, that's my question. Trade me? Trade me? Yeah. Uh, honestly, like, I think, because some, some people, it, it makes them feel nice to give you the stuff. And sometimes you're actually kind of doing them a favor. Sometimes you're helping them get rid of their junk, which, you know, it's like in the bigger picture, it's like you take on the burden of yourself for a minute. But, I mean, I don't know, trade me is just so useful, man. It's, I, I found this great strategy. You could put anything on there for a dollar and the price always goes up. I actually, I had a grand piano that I, because I moved from a house in Nelson to a little apartment in Wellington. And so I tried selling my grand piano 
on Trade Me, and I listed it at like $15,000, and like nobody bid, and I was like, $14,000, nobody bid. And I, this went on for two months, and finally, just to see what would happen, I put it on sale for a dollar, and then people followed it and bid it all the way back up to, to 15000 or whatever. Um, but so I found this like great thing on Trade Me that if you just list everything there for a dollar, somebody always wants that stuff. Um, there's some people who need it, and then you can give it away. So I know it's awkward when people dump their stuff on you, but... yeah. Yeah, you can you can keep redumping. So 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 <laughs> I, I agree because the thing doesn't add value to your life doesn't mean it won't add value to someone else's life. So being willing to let go is actually more responsible than just shoving it in a storage locker for six years and then paying on that storage locker yeah. month after month after month after month. Um, but yeah, so for those of you listening at home, Trade Me is uh, the New Zealand equivalent of eBay, eBay and, and Amazon sort of together. Um, but uh, the other thing that I'll say is over time, and this won't, happen, this won't happen overnight, but over time, it has more to do with setting expectations. So instead of saying, no, 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 I don't want this stuff, so what do you want? What are you going to say yes to, right? Maybe it's gifting experience. Maybe it's gifting consumables. You know, someone drops off a case of diapers, that's something you're actually going to need. And if they want to feel really good about giving it to you, they can gift wrap it and put a giant bow on it. You're going to be much more excited to get that than you are the, the pair of eight-month-old Air, Air Jordan. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the American dream really has permeated your borders. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> thanks for question, hey, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks Appreciate a lot. It. Yeah, I, I will add one thing is that I totally agree with your approach. Um, I, I would encourage you to at least try and set the expectations with your friends and family who are doing that because I don't know which I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've done that before where someone shows up to my house and is like, Hey, where's that thing I gave you? <laughs> right. So have you had that happen? I'm curious. One time I a uh a conference, I spoke at a conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and they gave me like an awful framed drawing of me. And it was like, oh, thanks. Do I really look like that? And so it was horrible. And so what I did, like, it was, in the, so I, I went and I found a, a garbage can, like, behind the front desk, and I put it in there. And a week later, there's like, Derek, we found your photo. It was, it was in the garbage. We're mailing it back to you. I was like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> and they mailed it to me and said, right. So, yeah, so we should, yeah, back to, you know, talk about it being sincere, being honest instead of being insincere. There's all this friction whenever you lie and just be honest. Yeah, and if you do set that expectation, then, like, you could feel very good about, you know, going and, and getting rid of that stuff. Because at that point, I mean, like, when my grandmother, like, I have set the expectation with her, uh, but, you know, she, last time I was at her place, she tried to give me a paperweight. Like, you're a writer. You need a paperweight. And, like, I don't know how to explain the cloud to my 84-year-old grandmother who... <laughs> Every time I go there, I have to reprogram my phone number into her phone. I don't know how she keeps deleting it. So I just simply look at the paperwork. I'm like, she knows, she knows I'm a minimalist. That's, that, that's okay. Um, you know what? Thank, this is beautiful paperweight. Thank you so much. This is gorgeous. Man, I, you know, I, if I don't end up finding a use for this, do you, would you mind if, if I found someone else who maybe could use this? And she's like... Oh, do you think you could do that? That would be great. Yeah, find someone else who would love it. So, and that's because I have set the expectation up front with her of yeah, how, how I want to bring things into my life. So she respects it when I am sincere with her. And now I have a paperweight. <laughs> oh, what a setup. Howdy, what's your name? Yeah, evening. I'm Matthew Pitts. I'm from Middlesbrough in the UK. 
No one. Oh, cheers. Nice. Well, thank you for being here, brother. Yeah, cheers. Hey, look, it's pretty topical as well. Uh, Ryan kind of killed my question. It was something I had the back of my mind, but I'll rephrase it. Um, I'm a new dad, and what I'm finding particularly difficult is staying present when I know I've got other things going on, being creative. So I was just wondering what like tips and guidance that you potentially use to try and declutter to make sure that you maximize that time with the little one. I, mean, I can give you a practical tip, but I'm interested to hear, hear what, what Derek has to say because he is a creative person. Uh, Der Derek is actually rewriting a book um, about marketing for creatives. Uh, he, he's a musician, and, and so it, it's particularly about marketing for it's it's marketing via the lens of of a musician, but I think it's for anyone who is is creative, and it's it's you can find it chapter by chapter on on his website. But um, so as as a creative person, uh, I I get up before Ella wakes up, and that's when I write. I get up before my partner. I get up before Ella, and I spend time creating. I I make the time. And it, it's fascinating. We often pretend we don't have the time, but it's the only resource we all have the same of. We, today, we all had 24 hours, right? Except when we flew here, I, we lost a few hours. So <laughs> you actually had more time than me today, I guess is my answer. <laughs> Derek, how do you balance the, the, the creative side, the, the creating, but also the, the parenting? Is it a daily thing, a monthly thing? Okay, I, I sound really zen like I've got it all figured out right but but actually so many times when I'm like leaving to go at 2.45 to go get him from school at 3 o'clock I'm sitting there going fuck 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 I was so in the middle of something I so do not want this right now fuck ah like I'm working as fast as I can it's like ah, I gotta get him now I gotta leave and then I, I think it just comes down to uh, like meditation 101 where they talk about it's like yeah you have those thoughts in your head and you just you let them flow out and they just, they just go back out, and you just let them, let them go. And then creatively, you just have to trust the process that next time you're, you're back at your work, that those things will have been staying in your unconscious, you know? So it's, it's not all zen and easy. I'm, I'm cursing it a lot, but then it's like, once I'm actually in person with him, and he's just like, look what I made you. I'm just like, oh. It just melts away, and I'm like, all right, I, I give up. I'm, I'm here. I'm present, you know? You know, uh, Josh, like every once in a while, he'll be like, man, Ryan, like you do a really good job of living in the moment. And I don't even, I didn't even realize that I lived in the moment a lot of the time. And it wasn't until like a few weeks ago that I, I forget what I was doing, but I remember I started, whatever I was doing, let's just say I'm just sitting at my computer and I'm doing email. And then like, you know, there's a window right there and someone passes by and I'm like, what's going on out there? Oh wait, got to get back to my email. Back to my email, back to my email, back to my email. And then like, I'll write a sentence. And I'm like, man, that's a good sentence. Man, that really is good. And that'll spark another thought. And I start to get excited. And that's the worst is when I get excited while I'm doing something else. And excitement can be elation, but I think it, it can also be distraction or stress. But as soon as I started to get excitement, I, I, I will catch myself and I will say, Ryan, that's, it is a good thought. You can get excited about that after you write this email. And I have to continuously avoid excitement in order to stay in the moment. There's only one thing I can get excited about while I'm there, and it's what's in front of me. That's what I will allow myself to get excited about. And if I can't get excited about that, 
I'm not going to get. Ex- I'm not going to allow myself to get excited about or distracted by anything else until this one task is done. And what will eventually happen? One or two things happen. I get this task done. Whew, I can go get excited about something else, or I will actually start to get excited about what I'm focused on. I, I think we were having this conversation this morning. Uh, we were with our friend DK, wherever he is. Hey, DK, um, and we were talking about. Uh, the, the distractions are actually what keep us from from the focus, and and often I think the excitement or worry can be can be the same thing. They can both be equally distracting. If we really want to to be you know, whether you call it focus or meditative or being in the moment, I think we have to lose ourselves in whatever the activity is, right? And so if that is uh, just the creative work, if you're writing or if you're making music or whatever it may be, it's losing yourself in that. that that's often we feel most alive. It's, it's a different type of excitement. It's like we need a, we need a, a different word to, to really describe it. You can call it flow state maybe or focus. Um, and and you, can, you, you can obviously get that with whatever you're doing, whether it's writing or sex or you're spending time with, with your child. There will be difficult times to do that, to... to, to really pour yourself into the activity but that's that's where the real payoff comes in howdy what's your name hi i'm jane and hey, by uh, the way y'all, i think we're gonna we'll skip the lightning round just so that we can uh, dive deep into at least two more questions so we're not trying to give you extra pithy answers today if that's okay with y'all okay okay i'm jane welcome to new zealand um i watched your documentary it was really cool and i read your book thank you thank um you. my question is once you start on going down that track, how do you stay on it? Because I've already tried it and I've fallen off the bandwagon and it's just making sure not to get that crap back in your life that you don't need. So for me, that is my, my question is like, once you start down the minimalist track, how do you ensure that things like, like I don't fast fashion and all that sort of stuff doesn't sort of creep back in, especially, you know, as a woman, that's something that does happen, you know, you see clothes and you want to buy them. Um, how do you sort of, yeah, work around that kind of stuff? So, so what are you struggling with? Is it mainly clothes or is it other stuff? <laughs> um, just having lots of, yeah, clothes and books. Okay, clothes yeah. and books. So so the average book, it, no one makes it past the first chapter. So, so, so 10... 10% of books that are purchased, the reader makes it past the first chapter. Books become a status symbol uh, to, to many of us. Um, they, they also make us feel like we've achieved some sort of goal instead of actually experiencing. The, 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 you know, we, we've got books out there in the lobby, but it won't do you any good sitting on your shelf, right? If you read it, we encourage you to pass it on to someone else uh, who can get value from it, right? And, and so I think it's, it's true. The, the possessions that we have should augment our experience or they should create an experience, right? And so if you're buying the book, it's aspirational in a way, but if all you're doing is aspiring, then, then uh, you know, you'll end up with aspiration everywhere. That's a pithy answer. We could put that on the lightning round. Um, but but I, I don't know that you'll, you'll actually end up getting any value from it. I think the, the, the same is true with, with clothes. I think quite often, actually one of the reasons, Derek, you agreed to, to do this sit down with us is I sent this, uh, aver- uh, this uh, advertisement essay to you that I had finished up last month. And um, you and I have a really similar view on advertisements. In, in the States, we see 5,000 advertisements a day. And um, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but I'll circle back, I, I promise. Um, 
we see 5,000 advertisements a day, whether that's TV, print, radio, billboards. And, and those advertisements are backed by statisticians and demographers and psychologists and really well-paid writers to aggregate your eyeballs onto their product, make it compelling enough so they can divorce you from the money in your checking account. And, and so they want it to be as compelling as possible so that they've removed the friction, enough friction, so that you will, will, will purchase their item. Uh, there is a drug company in the United States who was trying to come up with, and this is a, a good cause, uh, to help people who have hypertension. And so they, they did this pill trial and they realized that this pill wasn't working at all, but the men who were taking, was, they were getting this straight, strange side effect. All of them were leaving there with boners. And so they didn't just say, well, that's a weird side effect. Let's get rid of this. They said, hey, we have a solution to a problem. And so they hired an ad agency, and the drug Viagra was created. And that's what we're doing with our advertisements every single day. It's the reason that we refuse to put advertisements on our podcast, because advertisements suck. <laughs> You're damn right they suck. Um, and, and so... One of the things that really stood out to me in, in Derek's book, Anything You Want, was uh, um, the reason you don't put, what's the reason you don't put ads on your websites or you didn't, you refused ads on CD Baby for many years? I think you had you, a great analogy for this. I said it would be like putting a Coke machine in a monastery. It's like, to me, my, my website was like my baby, like this was my business, this was my, my thing, it was precious to me, it was kind of art, and the idea of like putting an ad on it uh, just felt you know, sacrilegious or something like that. My job revolves around advertising, so I kind of need them to earn money. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> well, so, so you know what goes not into... Not directly. <laughs> I'm not actually in advertising, but my IT company supports it. Gotcha. <laughs> and and I, here's the thing. I think that, that they've gotten really good at um, making us take money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need, to impress people we don't even know. And so when you think about it that way, when you're about to buy that new book or the new piece of clothes or whatever it is, maybe ask yourself, why am I buying this? And who is it really for? Yeah. For, for what it's worth, I found one little hack with books. Um, whenever there's a book, I'm just like, ooh, I need that now. I go into Amazon and I put it in a, a future wish list. And, uh, and I think, yeah, as soon as I'm ready to, the day I'm actually ready to read that, like I'm ready to sit down and read that, then I'll get it. And right now my wish list on Amazon is like over 400 books. And I, I haven't bought any of them. And I'm just like, wow, that's like how many years of thinking, I need that now. And wow, I'm so glad I didn't. So, so little tiny hacks like that can make all the difference. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, for me... Uh, when I saw a bunch of minimalists, what they did is they created these rules for themselves. And minimalism was, again, it was like this common sense thing where I felt good about bringing these rules into my life. Uh, I think for so long, like, I just wanted to just act on every impulse. Like, that's what I thought ultimate happiness was. Well, if I uh, had enough uh, resources to act on every impulse I have, well, then that must be happiness. And that is certainly not the case. Um, I did not get nearly as, you know, you could look at, actually, I'm not going to sit here and down any 
any public figures, but there are some pub- public figures out there who we know they go way and above, uh, way and above and beyond, reacting on every single impulse they have. We see it on reality TV, we see it on Twitter, we see it everywhere. in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about it because you're you live here now, so it's like <laughs> I'm banned. No, no, I'm 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 I wasn't even really going there, but but my my point is is that. You do need rules in your life to keep you from from uh, falling off the tracks, and those rules they're probably going to look different than Josh and I's rules. They're probably going to look different than Derek's rules, um, but you do have to create some rules for yourself to to keep you to keep you from buying more books, to buy to buying clothes. The other thing too is is find other things that make you excited and that make you happy. I mean, I just found out recently that uh, I'm like this I'm typical. Typical freaking American. I'm like this close to type two diabetes. I thought I had an awesome diet. I thought I, I, Mariah and I, we hit the gym five days a week when we're when we're back home, and 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 I'm this close because my diet isn't good enough. Now I do have a genetic thing. My dad has it. My grandpa had it. Um, so uh, my body just doesn't doesn't digest sugars as well as it should. But I've had to give up. <laughs> I haven't had ice cream. Oh my god, guys. Uh, dude, real fruit ice cream. Dude. You don't know what you're missing. Oh I, haven't had, I haven't had ice cream in like, uh, since last year. And, and like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not willing to, br- you know what? I have to make choices now. A bowl of ice cream or would I rather try like a local brew? I can't have both. So I have to make choices. I have to make rules for myself. But here's what's awesome is that I swear to you, you could give me a hundred percent. It's got to be the right brand. hundred percent. Uh, dark chocolate bar. Dark chocolate bar. Sorry, it's like my American right to make the hard R. Um, but you can give me 100% dark chocolate bar. It will give me the same satisfaction of ice cream now. Because what has happened is that I have cut out the bad crap that used to be my favorites. Well, now all these new things come in and they are my favorites. So if you, if you are forcing yourself to stop buying books, to stop buying clothes, you got to start asking yourself questions like, well, what else excites me? Yeah. What else can I do that is going to help me fill my time instead of me sitting? Now, now I don't buy books and clothes anymore. Now I'm just sitting on my couch wishing that I could buy clothes and books. <laughs> That's a horrible plan. <laughs> so create some rules for yourself and, and really stick to those. But the, the beautiful thing is, is you get to make your own rules. Um, and while you're here, if we pass through duty free, if you like dark chocolate, buy Whitaker's because it's New Zealand's thank favorite. Thank you so much. All right, I will. If I'd have known, I would have brought some for you. But thank I know, you. I know Mariah is writing that down right now. She is like my... Whitaker's dark chocolate. She's my partner in crime when it comes to chocolate. Thank you so much for your question. I know we'll have time for one more, but just in a moment. First, uh, we'll move on to something we call the added value segment of the show. This is where we talk about something or some experience that has added value to our lives recently. And since we're here in Zealand for less than a day, we might as well go ahead and, and talk about the experiences we've had here. Ryan, has anything added value to your life while you were here in Auckland? First off, you guys got some awesome filter coffee here. Now, I know, all right, I heard someone say, all right, so not everyone hates filter coffee. That's good to know. There is this place, uh, I forget what street it's on, um, but it's, it's called Remedy Coffee. All right, someone knows about it. We have one of the, their employees here. Yes, that's right. No, it is, so what they do is an AeroPress, which is, um, 
it's the person who invented the AeroPress, they wanted to create something that would give you an espresso type flavor. So, but it's not an espresso. What I'm trying to talk you guys into doing is going to Remedy and get an AeroPress. They've got uh, an Ethiopian uh, choo-choo right now. It's so good. And it's really close to an espresso. So this is like a really good, like, you know, baby step. This is a gateway coffee to, like, better filter coffees. Today's podcast is brought to you by... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the difference is is they're not paying me, and I really freaking mean it. It's an amazing shop. Yeah, it, it, the the great thing about this uh, about this segment of the podcast is since we don't take a, we refuse to take anything free like even like the pants that I wear I've had the company offer like hey can we send you a free pair since you thought no you can't you can't send me anything for free well then we would feel obligated to talk about it right and in fact I had a company send me a jacket that I really like for free and so I went into the like figure out the retail price and I donated that money to GiveWell.org and then I sent them a receipt to their name and, and to prove like you you can't buy us with your dollars and and so whenever we get to talk about something um it becomes a a experience that we actually that we find value in yeah and we're not embarrassed to talk about this stuff because it uh, it is coming from our hearts and it is coming from actual recommendations well i I have two things that add value to my life uh one is uh, well two things from new zealand two things in new zealand um one is uh we, we had breakfast at this uh, great place called Imperial Lane. There's like this little cafe there that was, I mean, it's the best breakfast I've had in weeks, I, I guess. I mean, oh my God, it was it was just a great place. And so check it out if you get, it's just right downtown Auckland. And then second is, since we have Derek here, I've got to recommend his book. So, so he, he's got a, a book called Anything You Want, and he didn't pay me to say this. Um, this podcast is also brought to you by <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, uh, so... The, the thing about this book, what is it, 88 pages? Yep. Yeah, and, and, and so um, I've read it on the physical book. I've read the Kindle version. I actually read it on the plane ride over here because it takes about an hour to read, but it's like life lessons from you know, uh, many years of running a business. And if, if I were to retitle the book or if I would have written it myself, I would have just called it Business Minimalism because really that's what it is. It's about getting down to being intentional with respect to creating and, and doing business because right, quite often we, we, we hear that word business and it, we just, we're instantly allergic to it because we think suit and tie, corporate guy, go up to the ivory tower. No, it's about solving people's problems via creating meaningful creations. And every line, like, I, seriously, if you were to see my Kindle version of it, like, every single line is, like, there's fewer lines that aren't highlighted than are, so I don't know how, how helpful that was in me just highlighting the whole book. Uh, but it's also available on, on audiobook, and, and seriously, you can listen to it in an hour and a half on, on audiobook, or if you speed it up a little bit, about an hour. You know, the, like, this whole time, man, like, because people will ask me a lot, how do, how do I cultivate a passion, man? How do I, how do I pursue a passion? And it's, really, it's been really hard for me on this stage to not ask you that question because you do such a beautiful job of explaining that in your book. And it would probably take you an hour and a half to really go through the whole story. And lucky for you, you could buy it for like 10 bucks and it's totally worth it. Um, the, the, the one thing, there are two things I'll say, actually, that really stood out to me in the book. Um, the first one was you, you talk about saying no. And so whoever, you right there, I know who you are. Yeah, it is, it's an, it is an amazing, uh, it's an amazing book for that. It will help you say no. The other thing too, there's a line from there, man, that like totally has just, um, 
Well, it's why we have Jess. It's why we have Sean. Like I think about, and Josh thinks about, what's the role that we want to have as the minimalists? Like, what do we want to be caught up in social media all the time? Do we want to have to do this and be our own tour manager? And there, there are certain things that we have to bring in help on so we can be the absolute best at, at what we really, really want to do, what we feel is going to be most valuable to our audience. And in that book, it helped me to, um, I guess, to really chase that and not feel not feel bad about, um, you know, bringing in help. I mean, we're growing, but we're growing in the right way, you know? Thanks. That's really cool to hear. <laughs> so put that on your wish list. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, move on real quick to right here, right now. So we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. So you probably saw a camera here. We're filming some new stuff um, for some future projects. One project that this is not for is we are um, f we're filming a new documentary. The talk that you saw earlier tonight. We're trying to build a, a documentary around that talk. So that talk is you know 30, 40 minutes, but but we're trying to build a full-length docu documentary around aspects of that talk. So we rented out this beautiful warehouse space in Los Angeles, brought in 300 friends and, and filmed this talk. And then we're going to just go do some backstory because uh, actually next, next uh, week we're headed back, or no, in two weeks we're headed back to Dayton, Ohio, which is where we're from. It's the overdose capital of America. But uh, I don't think there's a, a drug crisis there so much as there is a, a, a crisis of meaning. People don't feel like they have a, a purpose in what they're doing and, and so... They've, they've turned to you know, the opioids to, to get the job done. And obviously, they don't get, they don't get the job done for long. They just mask a, a problem. And so we're trying to help solve that problem to a certain extent and uh, try to help people re-identify with what their purpose is or what brings them, them joy in their lives. So that's the next thing that's going on with us. That's, we tend to work on one project a year. That's going to be the big project as soon as this, this tour is over. This is City 49 out of 50. And then we are done touring for a very long time. What, what's 50? Uh, Melbourne. Oh. We're ending there because there's a direct flight back to Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we, we would have ended here in, in Auckland. Um, it just made sense with the way, way we were routing things. Uh, so we're working on that. Also, as you know, advertisements suck. So the only way that we su support the podcast, we just built a new studio space in Los Angeles. And it's looking really great. We hope to add a video component so we can do more meaningful, produce more meaningful video creations in time. And that's backed by you all. So the only way that, that this podcast makes any money is if you choose and you can afford to contribute to the podcast. If you decide you want to do that, or if you're listening to this, to this at home and you want to do that, just go to theminimalists.com, click donate at the top. You become a regular supporter, but you also get something like a little bonus. Each week we do the Minimalists private podcast, and it's like a little bonus episode. We call it a postscript episode. And so tonight I'd love to record one of those in front of you and answer a question with Derek Sivers here. Y'all open for that? Beautiful. Let's do it. All right, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Um, so before we wrap this up, I, I know we're like, wait, we're supposed to finish at nine and it's, we've steamrolled past 10. So I'm both sorry and you're welcome, depending on... <laughs> depending on where you're at right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're one of those people dragged here, then I'm sorry. But uh, here's what I'll say. First off, I, Derek, I just want to really acknowledge you, man. I know, I know you don't do this thing often and we're grateful you decided to spend some time with us. Thanks. It means a lot. Thank you so much, man.
And if you all leave here tonight with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here tonight, y'all. Thank you so much, Auckland. Hey, my name's Emily, and I'm calling from Frederick, Maryland. Here's my tip from listening to the Quality Podcast. Keep a few crucial items like super glue, a Sharpie, uh, some thread and needle, a few patches, and actually some leather lotion to extend a few of your well-worn items. More than anything, I think learning to mend that favorite handmade sweater or pair of boots is a great way to pay tribute to that awesome craftsman. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm calling from Michigan, and I'm calling in regards to a woman who was on your Nashville podcast. She asked about kind of a woman's perspective about makeup, and I'm calling with a comment for um, two, maybe three suggestions. The first one is there's a website and an app called Think Dirty, where it will list ingredients of makeup and kind of give a clean score based on their chemicals and everything that's inside them. Um, so if you're looking for a clean alternative, you can scan makeup products that you already have and kind of either score. If you're looking for more um, better alternatives with maybe better ingredients, they'll give you alternatives listed, and then you can actually shop right from their app as well. Um, my second suggestion would also be they have called Good On You. Um, it's where they list uh, ecologically responsible and animal-friendly um, alternatives to makeup and clothing, so you can search on their website if you're looking for, you know, lipstick, primer, foundation, everything like that. And my third suggestion would be, is my own little personal rule, is I typically have one quality makeup item for each, you know, specific area. So if I'm looking for eyeliner, I have one quality eyeliner. If I'm looking for mascara, I have one mascara tube at a time. So this helps to cut down on my makeup. That way I don't have you know, 17 different eyelash and um, eyeshadow palettes as well. Hi, this is Coral calling from Bend, Oregon, and this is in response to your quality episode. So to me, a quality product is more than something that lasts a long time. Um, when I want to buy something new, I want the company I'm giving my money to to have high ethical standards. Um, so when I start my research for a new item, whether it be clothing or cosmetics or a new mattress, whatever, um, I go to bcorporation.net. Uh, according to their website, B Corp is to business what fair trade certification is to coffee or USDA organic certification is to milk. B Corps are for-profit companies certified by the nonprofit B Lab to meet rigorous standards of social and environmental performance, accountability, and transparency. So I feel like if a company is willing to meet those standards, um, they're probably a very high-quality product. So I hope that you can find what you need while making a positive impact with your money. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for 
a grand Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Oh, tear 